Can you hear me? You're pretty special when your granddaughter comes over and gives you a pink heart. Candy. I wish I could have taken it. <laughs> All right. This morning we're going to be back in the uh, book of Romans. You know, it looks like a lot more people here in this building than it does when we're on the property. Anytime when you see a passage of scripture where it talks about rejoicing about something that God has done, that's got a root of grace in it. Like when God delivers someone from their enemy, that's a root of that's a branch of grace. Have you ever during your day, you, you, you pray for something, and a little while later, you realize that that prayer was answered, and you just rejoiced. The joy you felt when you realized that, that's a root of grace. Or when you come to faith in Christ, and you had this fullness of happiness and joy and rejoicing that was grace that was a root of grace a branch of grace and while I was studying that I realized early this morning that I wasn't going to be able to do much with all of that I learned other than what I just told you yes once you realize all those roots and words that are connected to grace, you just read through the Bible and say, you see everything is grace. It's grace that we got God's word that we can read it. 
It's God's grace that we can put it in our heart and memorize it. It's God's grace that we can get up in the morning. It's God's grace. I don't know if I'm going to get past this. It's God's grace if you're driving to work and when you get to work you enjoy what you're doing. It's God's grace. Because there's a passage that talks about it. It's in Isaiah. I forget exactly where. But it talks about that. You know, the person that's under God's grace it says that um, you're hungry and in God's grace you're filled. But the person that's not in God's grace, they're still hungry after they eat. Or they're still thirsty after they drink. Because they're not satisfied with God's grace. And as Christians, Y'all should be jumping up and down on the inside, at least, <laughs> at God's grace. You know, when you're we're changing that stinky diaper, it's God's grace. Or if you have an illness, you know, we have, have several people that I know of that are just battling serious illnesses. And some of them looks like God's grace is going to be to take them home. Breaks their heart. That's God's grace. And other people that's battled illness or is battling illness and it looks like God's going to heal them. God's grace. You should be jumping up and down like that, Tom. You'd be saying amen right now. Oh, I'm sorry, amen. So let me help you. Say amen. Amen. <laughs> Stacy, say amen. Chia and Mia, say amen. It's God's grace that Tom is sitting right there. It's God's grace that he's struggling today. Whatever it is, it's God's grace. Because you know, as the old pastor once said, it came to pass. Whatever it is, it came to pass. All right. I have the, like at least 45 verses I was going to have y'all turn to. <laughs> at least. But I cut all that out. So, so let's uh, read in Romans chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 13. 27 minutes I have left. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, 
not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as they as if they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to also perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's pray. Father, again, we just come before you humbly and we ask that you would just help us to see your grace, to see your grace every day, to see your grace even now in your word. Help us to realize that those who have committed their life to Christ, that everything is grace. We can look through the world with grace-tinted eyes because that's what you've given us, has shown us is grace. And Father, we just thank you, we praise you, and we honor you, and we worship you because of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. <clears throat> the blessedness of faith in verse 13. Faith is God. The faith is God is righteousness. The faith of God is righteousness for it is believing God. You know, that's what this whole chapter has been about. It's been about Abraham believing God. And we'll get a little bit farther deeper into that as we go through this passage. But working to keep the law in the flesh falls short of God's glory. We cannot keep the law because if we violate one part of that law, we're guilty of all of it. Now I heard a preacher this week say that isn't God a God of second chances? And they said, they thought about it and they said, not really. But even if he was a God of second chances, when did you use it up? When did you use your, your second chance? How long ago did you use it up? 
So God is a God of grace. I got an amazing statement about that. I'll get to it. Faith is void through the working of the law, verse 14 through 15. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there's no transgression. Grace arises when there are no works. Let me say that again. Grace arises when there are no works. And it abounds when the recipient shows hostility toward the giver of grace. Grace arises when there's no works. But it abounds when the recipient of grace there's hostility toward the giver of grace. God is the giver of grace. And we're hostile towards him. Before we come to grace. You know, I said last week that, you know, if we could just, just for a few moments, to be able to worship God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. What what change? How that would that change the future? How would that change our life if we could do that? Because we're so infected with our sin, we're so tainted by our sin. We can't do that for a few moments. without our minds just taking us somewhere that we don't need to go. Whether it's in pride, thinking, you know what, if I do this, God's going to be really pleased with me. Or if I just say the right words, the whole state of continent of Africa is going to come to faith in Christ. Or if we do the right thing, or we do that thing, we just get it in our mind, and I'm talking about me right now. I'm looking in the mirror, y'all. That if it wasn't for grace, my whole life would just be a sinful wreck. And it is. But it's grace. The important thing is to believe the right way. You know, that's an obvious statement when we say some, or you hear someone say something like, you know, all, God, all roads lead to God. They don't. Not in a good way, anyway. Not in salvation, they don't lead to God. Maybe in judgment. But you have to believe the gospel the right way. You can't say it's Jesus plus my baptism or Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus anything. Jesus says there's only one way, one truth, one life, and he's it. 
We cannot, we must believe and understand the right way. For example, um, Israel experienced God in this way in one of their feasts. I want to read this passage to you. This is one of them I just couldn't leave talking about God's grace. But it's in Deuteronomy chapter 16. You know, one of the charges that um, God gave Israel was that when a generation came up and the children asked the Father, why do we do this? Why do we have a Passover? Why do we celebrate all these different things that we do? It was, it was the Father's responsibility to explain to them why they did all those things. And I read that, and you probably have read it as well, but this passage in Deuteronomy 16, and it's talking about one of the feasts, one of the three feasts that Israel was supposed to celebrate, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And what the Taber Feast of Tabernacles was, was that they'd go to this place that God chose for them to go to, whether it was at Shiloh or, or at Jerusalem, later at Jerusalem. They were to go there and they were to live in tents for seven days. And then they were to bring their offering, their tithe of the corn and of grapes, and while they were there, they were to just rejoice in that. So I'm going to, let me read the passage. Uh, verse 13, it says, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. And thou shalt rejoice. That's that word, that's that root word that talks about grace right there, that rejoice. That's one of the roots of grace is rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy sons, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are within thy gate. So everyone is to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. If you're in the land of Israel at this time, and they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, you should be right there, right beside them, camping out with them. Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all thy works of thy hand. Therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. Again, there's that root that goes back to grace. So when a, when a kid would say, Dad, why do we camp out here in this tent for seven days with all these other people in their tents? He was to explain to them that it's because God blessed them with their corn and with their, with their grapes. And if the, if the parent didn't have the right understanding of that, that parent could say, you know, son or daughter, we celebrate this because of all the hard work and God's given us a rest. And it was all the hard work that I did, you know, pulling those weeds and planting good seed and watering and 
keeping the rabbits out from eating the corn and you know all that stuff that goes into growing something and it can be all about the hard work that they did and they had missed the picture that God wanted them to see. And the point picture was, we know it as grace. It was the grace of God that there was one ear of corn on a stalk. Let alone hundreds of ears or hundreds of seed. You know, you plant one seed of corn, we're talking about yellow corn, and you might get like three, four ears of corn off of that, and each one of those corn cobs has, you know, how many seeds on it? A lot. I never counted them, but pretty specific. Um, I remember when I was in school, they were talking about maize, Indian corn. You know, it has black ear, has those black kernels in it. And you could plant one of those, and every ear would have the same number of black kernels. Huh. Anyway, that was just extra. But the point is, it was God's grace. And that's what the parents were to teach their kids about grace. Because grace is a concept that's, if you're young, you're a kid, it's hard to understand, it's hard to grasp. But if you say to your child, remember we planted like 10 rows, 10 ear seeds down this row. Look how many seeds we now have out of this row. Talking about corn. And that, the kid could say, oh, I see how that worked. You plant one, God blesses it, and now you have a hundred. That's God's grace. And that was an easy, that's an easy way, if you understand it, to teach your kids about grace. It's how he blesses the ground. And I was talking to Amelia the other day about this grass he's got growing in. He's dependent on the rain to water his grass. That's God's grace that brings the rain. My brother used to grow soybeans in Mississippi. He used to farm like a thousand acres of soybeans and cotton. And someone in Africa asked him, says, how, how do you why, why are you coming here to Africa, from America to Africa? How do you get the money to come here? And he says, when I look at a soybean plant, God puts an extra soybean on there for me to come to see you, to minister to you. That's God's grace. in this way that we would be rejoicing in the gracious blessing of God. If we understand that God multiplies, he gives the increase 
we can rejoice in God's blessing. This is the way Abraham believed God. God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son in their old age. And they did not strain. They didn't grunt or go into disbelief because of their age. Abraham was nearly a hundred was a hundred years old. And Sarah was ninety-nine years old. Ninety-nine, ninety, somewhere she was old. She was past childbearing age. Way past childbearing age. But they didn't strain at that. They just believed God. They just believed God. Verse 17, it says, in Romans chapter 4, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. It's kind of complicated language there. But he believed even though it didn't make sense to believe that they could have children, they believed it anyway. They believed it as though it was, because God said it. Verse 18, it says, Who against hope believed, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken? So shall thy seed be. You know, in Genesis 15, that's what it talks about. It says, as the sand on the seashore, so shall your seed be. If you can count the sand on the seashore, that's how much your seed is going to be multiplied. Or if you can count the stars in heaven, that's how much your seed will be multiplied. You know, um, because of, you know, the telescopes they have out there, the, tele the Hubble telescope, you know, we could look at the beach and say, look at all that sand. How many grains of sand are there? But you look up in the sky and you say, you couldn't see the equation there. The sand on the beach and the stars in the heaven, they didn't equal. It didn't seem like they equaled each other. But now, with these telescopes looking out there and seeing all those millions of galaxies out there, you know, could be equal. So that equation is true. As the grains of sand on the beach are equal to the grain, the stars in heaven. Just couldn't see them. Verse 19, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's what I was saying. You know, they were both way past having kids. 
But God said they would. They didn't strain at it. They didn't even consider that. Verse 20 says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't stagger at it in unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God glory, or giving glory to God. Not only did he not stagger at it, in verse 21 it says, He is fully persuaded that when he had promised, he was able to perform it. Did not make sense to believe that they'd have kids, but they did believe it, as if it would already happen. It's happening. Verse 22 says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him. It's given to his account, it's put on his account that he believed God for righteousness. It doesn't make sense for God to justify a sinner, but through the power of the cross, he does. Why would God justify a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner like me? Why would God justify a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner like you? How could he do that? How can he impute righteousness and justify a person? It's only through the cross. Verse 23, it says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Well, it just for Abraham to know, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised uh, Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification that's the sum of this whole chapter here that Paul is talking about it wasn't just for Abraham it wasn't impute the righteousness of God wasn't imputed to him just for him but it's for us too. For us as well. Who was delivered for our offenses. Jesus suffered and died for our offenses. He suffered and died for my sin. He suffered and died for your sin. But when he did that, didn't stay dead. God raised him again. And that's where we get our justification. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was Son of God. Jesus fully paid the sin debt that you and I have. We're justified. How are we justified? Turning in repentance and faith. Believing God raised him from the dead. That's what it tells us in Romans 10 9. Believing that God raised him from the dead. And repenting. What are we repenting of? Repenting of our sin. 
But we're also repenting of all those ways that we try to reach God on our own. When we say, God, let me just fix myself up a little bit and I'll come to you. <laughs> Doesn't work. Because it's all bad. Sinner, call on God today to have mercy on you. Trust Jesus as your only hope for salvation. Repent for all the ways you try to reach God on your own. There is only one way. There is only one truth. And there is only one life. And that's the resurrected life of Christ. And you can be saved. So let's stand and we'll pray. Father, again, we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you, and worship you, because you provided the way. You provided the payment. You provided the sacrifice. It's all your grace. It's your grace.